With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A second Olympics in six months. The Beijing Winter Olympics have come to a close. And the final weekend's been a celebration of curling gold and silver for Team GB. But what about the fortnight beforehand? As we head back home to Blighty, have we been expecting too much? And have the Chinese hosting restrictions and the inevitable Russian doping scandal damaged the Olympic movement? I'm Michael. And I'm John, and this is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic podcast. Maybe the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics could be summed up as the good, the bad and the ugly. We'll let you decide which ones are which but there was certainly joy and delight from the mirror curlers in the ice cube. I thought we were going to get to decide who was the good, the bad and the ugly. <laughs> I would have liked to have done that. We will be discussing a certain 15-year-old. We'll be talking about the biggest British Olympic doping scandal ever with the relay team losing their Tokyo medals. And we'll also bring you all the other Olympic, Paralympic and Commonwealth Games news from the past fortnight. As ever, you can get in touch anytime, anything but F on Twitter. You can message us on Insta and Facebook. Our website is anythingbutfooty.com or email anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. So 19 days of competition, 19 nights of no sleep for Michael, in which 49 Team GB athletes took to the ice or snow and we only came back with two medals, gold and silver, both in curling. Pretty much sums it up, Michael. Yeah, I'm going to start with the good. Having said that we won't decide the good, the bad and the ugly, I'm going to start with the good. And the good is British curling, and more specifically Scottish curling. And for Mm. Team GB, a gold and a silver medal. It's been a long, long stretch of curling. Remember, it started before the opening ceremony with Bruce Mowat and Jen Dodds in the mix. I feel like I've had breakfast with Bruce and Jen for two, two and a half weeks. You pretty much have. (laughs) Literally Um, every morning. And that was the one, remember, that we were all nailing on as being one of the real strong gold medal hopes. They were the world champions. And I think had that gold medal happened in that first weekend, 
it might have been a slightly different game. Now, that might sound odd, but I believe, and you and I are experienced at being in, in games time, if you like, I believe momentum is all important. Mm. And I think had they come back to the village early on in the first few days with a medal, then we might have seen a few of those other near misses go a little bit closer. It's all hypothetical. We don't know. The fact of the matter is they finish fourth. Then, of course, Bruce goes into the men's team and Eve... Uh, Jen, sorry, goes into Eve Muirhead's team for the women's team. And, you know, I, I say this to the the women curlers, and we'll hear it in a minute, but they had no right even to be at the Games. You know, they, they didn't qualify initially. I think in the qualifiers, they lost to that curling powerhouse Turkey <laughs> at, at some point. You know, they had no right really to be there, but they got there. They qualified, so they did have a right to be there. That round robin... They won five, lost four, along with some other nations. And so they then go into that head-to-head to decide who are the four to go into the semi-finals. Still, we couldn't separate them. Mm. And then they go into the draw shot challenge, which is something that I've learned about this week. And for people that are listening to Anything But Footy, the podcast, that don't know about the draw shot challenge, basically you throw two stones down before competition starts, and that is to decide the order who's going to have the hammer first. But they also measure them, who's closest to the button. And that comes into play at this point. So they only got into that last four by 10 centimetres just ahead of Canada. They weren't even very good at the draw shot challenge. <laughs> they, they were in the bottom three, but fortunately they were above the nations they needed to be to get into the last four. The last four goes to an extra end. Mm. And again, it's like, how have you managed to do this? And then the final was just an absolute breeze in comparison, following up, of course, from the silver medal the day before. And I think possibly there's a benefit from going second, if you like, for Eve Muirhead and, and the rest of them, that they've they've watched the guys, they watched Bruce Mowat and they watched the men and they saw Bruce wiping tears from his eyes at the end. They saw that devastation. Maybe that was the little 1%, the 0.1%, whatever it is, the marginal difference that propelled them to just be so fluid mm-hmm. in that final against Japan today. Well, let's hear from the girls. Michael, you've been speaking to Eve and the team. Well, congratulations to you all. Eve, I'll start with you. What a tremendous team effort to have those gold medals around your necks. Absolutely. It was a complete team effort out there, and, and not just today, but for, for the full week. Um, it's, it's a moment that we've all dreamed of as young kids was to stand on the top of that podium and, and replicate what Rona Martin did, what she did for the nation to, to win that gold medal. And, for us to do that today, um, for us to go out there and play the game of the tournament, um, was just um, was phenomenal, um, a moment that, that we're never going to forget. But there must be some personal satisfaction for you, Eve, on top of the team effort, with all the adversity that you faced and your experience at the Olympic Games before, to have the gold, finally. There definitely is. Um, I've been in three Olympic semi-finals and, and just won that one um, a couple of days ago, but Looking back, I guess you think you wouldn't have it any other way now because all that hard work, all those losses have, have probably helped me become a stronger person to, to get this gold medal. And um, it, as I say, it was, a, it, was a, it was a team effort out there. We've got, we've got such great supporters um, all over the world, family, friends, and we just really can't wait to land back into Great Britain to, to see our family and friends and just to have some, like, us time, because it has been a long, long couple of weeks out here, and um, you're exhausted at the end, and I think all of us can say, like, we're knackered, but 
it's a moment we want to cherish and um, yeah, I don't think there'll be much sleep tonight and yeah, I'm sure our medals won't be off for very long. Vicky, you had no right to win that gold medal. Going back to, <laughs> going back to qualification, the round robin, the semi-finals, you certainly put us through the mill back here, you know. Yeah, we did. We definitely did. Um, that semi-final was a complete and utter rollercoaster. Um, going through it and playing it, it, was, it seemed a lot easier than actually watching. I felt really sorry for our parents and never in the stands watching us because it was not enjoyable for them. <laughs> but no, I just think it just showed them our great determination out there to come out of this with gold. It's, it's amazing. To qualify my previous question, Jen, the final was absolutely fantastic. It didn't look in doubt at any point during that final, did it? I think uh, we got off to a really good start. Getting that uh, two in the first end really kind of put a lot of confidence and the momentum down for us. Um, I mean, we knew they were having to chase us after, uh, after that. Um, so we felt in a quite a comfortable position. And once um, at halftime, when we stole that one in five, to, I think go three up, uh, we knew what we had to do was just to kind of keep it open and just make sure we like scored in our when we had hammer um, and then at the seventh end that was such a well sort of played in by us just making sure things were open and we gave Eve a shot with her last and she played it perfectly and I think you could see by uh, the reactions on her face we knew that was like the point we're like right we're so close to winning this gold medal let's let's just make sure we do our jobs uh, for the last three ends. Ellie, can you describe the podium moment for us and what that felt like? Uh, yeah, it was absolutely amazing just to stand out there and to see uh, all the supporters and the boys um, and our staff in the crowd. It was just amazing to hear them cheering us on and to actually step on together with these girls was, was something really special and something I'll definitely remember for the rest of my life. Millie, a team of five, of course. It must be so difficult when they're out there on the ice and your ability to affect things is more limited then. But I suggest that you have a great role when they come back to the village of an evening. <laughs> yeah, it's so difficult watching. and You always wish that you could do something to help or if they're doing really well, you still just want to support as much as you can. But it's a really good role and I feel like we've all pulled together and done our best. And yeah, to finish with the gold medal is just amazing. <laughs> Final word then quickly to you, Eve. Has it been worth it? Do you fancy doing it again? <laughs> oh, do you know what? I, I haven't even thought about that. It's, it's been, as I say, a long week. And um, I want to take this time to, to recognise what we've done and to celebrate the moment, to be honest. And yeah, I guess I need to have a think what I'm going to do in the future. But right now, I think that's at the very back of my mind. Well, thanks all so much and congratulations again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So they, they did laugh at, at your comment there, Michael. But I think you're, what you said was right, that actually, did they get that little bit more inspiration? Because when we watched the men's game, Bruce's team, it felt like we were always behind Sweden all the way through to the final. And in contrast to the story that you told about the women, you know, this was a team in the round robin that had won nine matches or... Eight nine, and one. Eight and, eight and one. So, and they were on a roll. And... and and it looked like that that semi-final win was a lot easier than Eve's semi-final win. So do you think maybe that because Bruce was having to chase the game all the time, or it felt like it from a, from a watching point of view, that Eve and the team thought, well, actually, we need to get ahead in that final? 
There was definitely some learning, I think, for Eve and and the team. And, you know, when we get to sit down with them at some point in the future and and do something a little bit more considered, I mean, that's an interview that we've recorded there in the heat of the moment, coming off the ice, having just won the medal and heard the anthem and everything. I think when we get to, to speak to them with a bit more consideration in due course, I think they will admit that they learnt a little bit from what Bruce did. I've got sympathy as well for Bruce because obviously he'd had that mixed doubles competition with Jen Dodds and then he goes in and he's the skip. So he's the main man for the men's team. That wasn't quite the same for Eve Muirhead because she hadn't been in the mixed doubles. I know Jen had played both, of course, but whereas she had you know, been the one to deliver the key moments in the mixed doubles. She was backing up. She was trying to work a situation that Eve could exploit. And I just think maybe for Bruce, one game too many perhaps ran out of steam a little bit, understandably, you know, take nothing away, a silver medal at the Olympic Games. But I think the fact that their reaction at the end was one of, you know, devastation and disappointment. Um, it was obvious, really. I think they wanted to win the gold and, and they knew themselves that on the day of the final, they just came up a little bit short. The kind of initial feeling was quite uh, disappointed. We obviously wanted to get that gold medal, but um, as time is passing, we're definitely starting to uh, get a smile back on our faces and you know really start to live in the moment. And we've had so many messages of support and uh, from people that um have just told us how much we've inspired them so yeah that that really is kind of uh sinking in and making us feel good how aware are you that people have been getting up in the early hours of the morning and really getting behind you guys bruce um i guess the only kind of knowledge i have is from my family and friends that have been texting me and telling me uh, how tired they are so um yeah as i've said like i can't thank uh, those people enough for the support that they've given us and uh, waking up at those ridiculous hours to watch our games over here um, it means so much to us and you know I really do hope that we have inspired people to take up the sport and uh, to get involved you definitely have Grant tell us how tense was it out there on the rink today um, it wasn't it wasn't um, I think obviously it's the biggest game of any of our careers and we're all obviously nervous but once we stood in that ice, it was really just about trusting all the practice we've done and uh, felt very comfortable in what we're doing. And um, it was great that we were able to still play almost as good as we had all week. And unfortunately, it just wasn't quite enough today. Bobby, have you come up with an explanation at the moment or is it too soon as to what the difference was today between you and Sweden? I think it's small margins, to be honest. I think they kind of brought their absolute best, if I'm being honest. And, we were close, but just not quite our base today, and that was probably the difference. Uh, yeah, just a game of inches, and we were just on the wrong side today, unfortunately. Hammy, I spoke to your dad a short while ago. He's got so much pride for what you guys have achieved. Are you feeling that sense of pride at the moment with that medal around your neck now? Yeah, I think uh, it's starting to sink in. You know, as the boys have all said, you know, when we came off the ice, it was... It hurt a lot. Uh, it really did, and it was it was really raw when we first came off the ice. But you know, but we've stuck to a lot of messages so how proud how proud everybody is back home, and you know we've, we just brought Team GB their the first medal of this Olympics, which is a, a huge achievement. So I think really now it is it's starting to sink in. Uh, I think we'll look back even tomorrow and the day after that, and I think the smiles on our faces will be even bigger. 
Ross, it's a team game. Have you enjoyed watching the guys out there on the ice or has it been frustrating knowing that you can't affect it as much as you would have liked at that point? It's, uh, you definitely get more nervous sitting on the bench, but these boys make it slightly easier when they're, uh, they're all so cool and confident. So it's great watching them and supporting these boys. And, you know, you, you always like to be out there, but I couldn't have asked for our four boys to, to go out there and represent our country. It's been fantastic. Bruce, you're a young squad. How far can you guys go together? Yeah, I'd love to see us uh, continue the performances that we're giving out right now. Um, we want to be there in four years' time, and we, we're trying really hard to get to that um, next Olympics. Obviously, this one's still a bit raw, so uh, we'll try and like evaluate this one and um, maybe park it for a bit, and then we'll we'll really start building up in the next kind of, um, you know, five, six months and really look forward to um, what we could achieve at the next Olympics. And, you know, we are still young, so we're going to have to um, just give it our all again and uh, really hope that we can do that for another four seasons. So, Michael, you said about t- starting off with the good. I thought some of the other highlights, you mentioned Jen Dodson and Bruce Moa in the mixed doubles. That was the best ever. That was the other best performance for Team GB. Uh, so, so British curling have had the best Olympics ever with a gold and silver and a fourth place finish. They have never had more success than that, uh, even winning two medals uh, in Sochi in, in 2014. Kirsty Muir, fifth in the big air, eighth in the slope style. Cornelius Kirsten, ninth in the 1,000 metres long track speed skater, the first for, for 30 years. Pharrell Tracy meet, reaching an Olympic final in his, uh, his, his, his last games. The men's bobsleigh, actually with a, a sixth place finish after uh, the week they've had. They were probably some of the other good things. Yeah, Zoe Atkin and Gus Kenworthy um, probably had them reaching their, their finals, of course, in the high, halfpipe and Michaela Gherkin Schofield. Um, in the moguls as well. That That is, you know, the finalists that I think we were potentially looking to try and convert some of those positions, some of those placings that we just ran through into the odd bronze medal. If you look back to 2018, it was Lizzie Arnold's gold and, and four bronzes. I think what hasn't happened at these games is those finalists that we've just run through haven't converted into those bronze medals. So, you know, that is the roundup of the good, the two medals, a number of finalists. The great thing about a lot of those finalists, people like Kirsty Muir, 17, of course, is they're young. Now, I don't always buy into this thing that, uh, you know, they will be better in four years' time. I don't always believe that. I sometimes think if you're 17, 18, that is your moment to do it. Was Michael Owen better at the 2002 World Cup when he was 22 than he was when he was 18 in 1998? I'm not so sure. No, Wayne, Ro- Wayne Rooney wasn't later on uh, after Euro 2004. Exactly. I mean, um, we don't talk about football, as, as you know. Um, so I don't always buy into that. But then we have seen, you know, in the summer games, the progression of someone like Tom Daly, who has used all that experience. And in these winter games, Eve Muirhead, who has used all that experience. She was a skipper at 19. And now here we are in 2022. She's a gold medalist. So, you know, it can work both ways. So, you know, I think there are reasons to be cheerful, reasons to be optimistic moving forward to Milan Cortina. I would hope for the ski and snowboard team, their preparations might be a little less upset in terms of, you know, not having to try and compete and qualify in the midst of a global pandemic. Having said that, of course, they have been in in World Cup events this year. 
and they have been placing quite well in World Cup events this year. But as you told me this week, some of the other nations haven't. So, you know, there's been disappointments. And I think if I was to name and single out one sport as the biggest disappointment of all, do you know what I'm going to say? Skeleton. Skeleton. I mean, poor, hasn't it? Yeah, just the fact that the women have won medals for the last five games, three of them gold, and nothing this time. And it was the fact that, I think it was Johnny Jackson, the commentary on on the BBC over the games, kept saying, they're just getting slower. They're getting slower and slower as they're going down the track. And there has to be serious question marks about that. And I think that there will be, because you've done a really great interview with the CEO of the British Olympic Association, Andy Anson, who's um, really open and frank about it. And what I really like about it, as you're about to hear, is that he admits there will be some very disappointed and frustrated athletes amongst Team GB from these Winter Games. I think curling will be absolutely cock-a-hoop, and there'll be others who are going home feeling that they didn't quite achieve what they came out here to achieve and they'll be frustrated. So I think it's necessary that we all go back, we digest what's happened and then we review sport by sport, everything that's been achieved and what needs to happen going forward. Because, you know, it, after having won five medals at each of the last two games, I think we were all hoping that we'd, you know, even go one better than that. But that's not, that's not materialised. It's tough in, the, in skiing and, and snowboarding where we've got one athlete going down. And, you know, if you watch the World Cups in those events, it's a different winner every week. And, and so to expect your one athlete to come away with a medal in all of them is just not realistic. You know, and when you've got the French, the Swiss, the Austrians, the Norwegians, um, skier after skier or border after border coming down, and, and we have one person usually. But there's been some good performances as well. I mean, I'd single out people like Kirsty Muir, who did really well in that big A. You know, she's only 17. I saw her as a 15-year-old win a gold medal in the youth, uh, silver medal in the Youth Olympics. And she's come on so much, and that sport's come on so much. It's a tough sport. So to come fifth was great. I think Michaela in the moguls. Actually, Cornelius coming ninth in the speed skating was pretty remarkable the other night. So, yeah, there's good, there's good things, but I think none of us, we'd be lying if we said we weren't disappointed that we'd not come away with more medals in some of those other sports. Has it been tougher for the skiers and the snowboarders with COVID? Because the curlers, for example, could get back into their centre quite quickly and yeah. just get on the ice. And the skiers and the snowboarders haven't had quite the same opportunity. I think so. Uh, I think, you know, but many of them are based out in, in mountainous regions. And, you know, some of them came from America, some of them train in Europe. And so I don't think we'll look into that and see if that was a factor. And, you know, in skeleton as well, maybe that was a factor. But... We don't want to make excuses. I mean, they, they have had opportunities this year to compete in World Cups. You know, we saw Dave Riding winning his first ever Slalom World Cup event. Uh, and people like Charlotte Banks has competed in, I think, six World Cup events leading into this and done really well and won those events or finished on the podium in, in many of them. So I don't think we should be looking to use that as a sole excuse. It's definitely made life harder for everyone. But I think that's athletes all around the world. I mean, this is a tough environment for all of us, without a doubt. But for the athletes, they're going from bubble to bubble and they've got these restrictions all the time. But that's not just for Team GB, that's for everyone. It was very, very cold in Shanjakau. It was the coldest place I think I've ever been to in my life. And that can't be easy living up there for two weeks. I mean, I'm lucky to be in Beijing and travel up and down on a high-speed train to there, but it was really brutally cold. The wind just cut through even... I had seven layers on most of the time, and it wasn't enough quite often to keep you warm. Skeleton, by their own high standards, will be tremendously disappointed by what's happened this week, won't they? They will. It wasn't a 
massive surprise to us because it's been an issue that they've had throughout the season. So if you look at their World Cup performances, they've not been where they would want to be. And I think that's one where the sport, UK sports, ourselves, you know, we'll sit down and do a proper thorough review when we get back home to see how they move forward now towards Milan Cortina because they have been, to some extent, a banker for us in terms of medals. And it's sad. And their athletes were really up for it as well. You know, I saw them a lot in the village. I spoke to them. They were definitely up for it. And it's just not worked out this season. And, and that's a shame. Two more questions then. First one, the wider issues. Issues around China and Beijing hosting yeah. the games, of course. Yeah. Issues over Camilla Valieva during the games, of course. Yeah. How do you think history will judge Beijing 2022? It's going to be an interesting one. I mean, the decision to come here was taken a long time ago before I was here. But it's for me, you know, the human rights thing is an issue that we're all aware of and, and we're never ever going to condone that kind of human rights abuse. But we as a nation and many other nations trade with China, we do business with China every day. You know, as a, in my previous roles in football and tennis, I've been to China an awful lot and, and have done a lot of business here. So if our governments and our businesses around the world are still treating China as a normal trading partner, it's pretty hard for us as Team GB to say we're not going to send our athletes here. So, and, and when you do come here, and I've been fortunate in many ways to come here on several occasions, the people are brilliant. You know, the, the volunteers, as with every Olympic Games, have just been wonderful. And they are the real people of China that you engage with on, on a day-to-day basis. And they're really fun. You know, they're so polite and respectful. And, and so the, there are two sides to that. And, and I look at the venues they've got in place. There's some amazing, spectacular venues. And the sport's been a high quality. And... And that's what we really care about as the British Olympic Association. But equally, we're not going to bury our head in the sands. I think, fortunately, you know, we've got a run now coming up of Paris, Milan Cortina, LA, Brisbane, which are, are going to be much easier games for us all to, you know, to cope with and to, to look forward to. And the Valieva situation? Oh, just awful. I mean, for me, the fact a 15-year-old girl has, is testing positive for banned substances is, is as bad as it gets. It's horrific. And I think, you know, the IOC, we, we chatted to the IOC about it the, as soon as it happened. And we were very clear that the investigation into the entourage is a priority. Uh, but they knew that and they, and they are making that the priority. We've got to find out exactly what went wrong. You know, it is more of the sports system, you know, doing this just as their normal course of business then you know, the sanctions need to be re-looked at because they've obviously not worked. So I, it's, it's not great. And it's awful to see how it's all finished up with her in tears on the ice and, and the way it all ended up. I, there's nothing I can say that's positive. I mean, as a father of a, a daughter who does sports, I find that just awful. Just finally then, you've delivered two Olympic teams to two Olympic Games in six months. The work never stops. You've already mentioned Paris, but you get a little yeah. bit of a rest now. No, not because we're going to Paris. You know, we've we've got we've got the key ingredients of our preparation camps and training camps identified, and we're in the middle of negotiating deals around that. Um, we still have other parts of the performance environment to get right in Paris. So, literally in a couple of weeks' time, we're in Paris planning for that. We've then got the European Youth Winter Games in Finland in March. We've got Youth Winter Games in summer in Slovakia. And um, I'm actually going out to LA, funnily enough, to start planning for the LA games and looking for preparation camps for LA, um, where there's so many good camps. But we're starting thinking ahead to LA already. So there is no rest. And 
you know, I think we've seen here, our, our team do such a great job of keeping the performance environment um, as good as it possibly can be. And it's no coincidence that we're winning medals on the last two days because the way the team have operated, we have this mantra that every day is day one and we keep going right to the end. And, and they've delivered on that. The team's been brilliant. Georgie, as our first ever female chef de mission, has excelled and been absolutely brilliant and has kept the team spirit good for the athletes and the team around the athletes. Well, thanks for your time today. Thanks for your honesty and candidness as well. Cheers. Thanks, Michael. Good to meet. So that was me speaking with Andy Anson, the CEO of the British Olympic Association. And as I I said there at the end to him, he was open, he was honest, he was candid. Um, I mean, he was delighted when we were chatting before that interview about the curling medals, obviously. But, you know, the nature of what we do, we want to talk about the bad stuff. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it was interesting that, you know, we were being talked to in the build-up to these games by lots of people in and around this team. And we spoke to a lot of the 49 members of Team GB that, that travelled to China. You know, we did, our, we did our research. We did our due diligence, I would say. Yeah. Um, we spoke to well over half that team, lots of the support staff around that team. No one had said to us that Skeleton uh, was, was struggling. No, no one had sort of pointed out. In fact, a couple of people had said to us that Marcus Wyatt and Matt Weston were, were medal hopes. Lizzie Arnold, certainly, you know, Britain's most successful Winter Olympian ever. She said to us, you know, look out for these guys. And, and she would know. Mm. Um, and so it's actually then quite surprising and honest, I think, of Andy to say, no, actually, there's been some long-term problems with this skeleton team. And they have manifested themselves in these games. Likewise, with the the snow sport, I think I probably gave him a get out, in all honesty, with my question. I said, you know, has COVID affected it in the ways that we talked about a short while ago? And and to be fair to him again, he said, maybe. But, you know, they have had lots of World Cup qualifiers. Um, We do need to look at it and there will be an investigation. Snow sport's interesting because they've got this this ambition, as as we know, when we went to GB Snow Sport, you and I um, spoke to Vicky Gosling, top five snow sport nation by 2030. Looks a little way off at the moment. Does feel a, a long way off, as you as you rightly say. And I think he was right about some of the athletes who were disappointing in terms of you hoped that they were coming you know, there was a lot of um, question marks, eyebrows raised when Gus Kenworthy came from America to compete for Team G, Team GB. Charlotte Banks, who was born, um, Gus's mum is 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 British. Um, Charlotte Banks, who was born in Hemel, but competed for France for for two Olympics. She came to compete for Team GB. Now, when you bring in these these um, different athletes who haven't come through the British system, arguably you need them to work. Greg Rosetsky, when he switched from from Canada to to Britain for tennis, actually worked. It, it actually gave the LTA and British tennis a benefit and a bonus. And they're they're, they're question marks that you have to to look at. And I, again, I think the the route really through snow sport. Um, I know Zoe Gillings, who is a uh, Yorkshire um, snowboarder and, and skier, and she tra- and trains people out in, a, in in Europe. And she's in the Yorkshire Post, I think, this weekend, sort of saying she doesn't see that pathway now, that, that, that maybe that needs to be looked at again. And that's the, the big wider question mark, isn't it, for UK sport and the BOA that Andy was talking about and GB snow, store, snow sport. Is what we've been doing the right way? Um, yes, you can say, well, wait and see in four years' time, but that's another four years' time. 
So that's the good and the bad. Let's widen it out yeah. to the to the ugly. Um, we'll probably bring it out beyond Team GB here. And I think one story's dominated above all, hasn't it? I think, first and foremost, the selection of Beijing and China as the host nation for these games was always going to be controversial. Um, and certainly you look at human rights abuses, Uyghur Muslims, you look at the potential genocide um, of those people. You look at the controversy in Hong Kong and the crushing of demonstrations. You look at the situation around Peng Shui, although she did appear at the Winter Games alongside Thomas Buck, the tennis player, Peng Shui. Uh, And all those things, you know, on the eve of the Games, you are sat there wondering why the IOC are bringing their big show to Beijing. We know why they're bringing it to Beijing money and because China can afford to host it and not many countries can afford to host the Winter Games and as Andy Anson tells us in that interview as well we trade with China we work with China at government level and business level all the time so why not at a sporting level and it's not the BOA's decision to pull athletes out do you know what I think that's the best argument I've heard for people refuting that people should boycott these events and that it's all down to sport to fix everything it's not it's not it's not down to sport to fix everything. Sport should play a part. Absolutely. We should all be aware of what is right and what is wrong. But Andy was absolutely right that if the government is trading with 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 China and and huge investments come into this country from China, how how much um investment in 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 infrastructure comes in from China? Businesses, as he said, I don't think you can turn around and then say, well, you can't go and, um, and do the skeleton or you can't go and ski there or you can't go and run there or play tennis there. And that is the huge question mark that I think the wider world has in, in the new um, society, if you like. The, the world is changing and there are different opinions and there are stronger opinions about what is right and wrong. And, and social media has a, had an impact on that. But what we have to do as a, as a sport and as sports fans is we have to know what's the difference between right and wrong. And we have to pressure our governments to make the right decisions moving forward. It, it, it brings that whole question mark about Saudi Arabia. I mean, Andy Murray's been really forceful about I am not going to go and take money to play tennis in, in Saudi Arabia. There's the golfers who we know some of them are looking at that. But again... What trade do we do with Saudi Arabia as a country? We have huge trade between them. And and this is, a, it's not down to sport to fix it. Yeah, Formula E are in Saudi Arabia. You know, they are a relatively new sport and they're in Saudi Arabia with their races this weekend. I think obviously the IOC cozy up to the Chinese because they know that they need China on board and I think they feel that it's better to have the Chinese part of the games than on the outside. They have previously had a similar stance around Russia, but I wonder whether these games and the whole situation about Camilla Valieva might be the watershed moment where the IOC steps up similar to the way the IPC did and said this cannot continue. This is a systematic problem. This isn't the problem of a poor 15-year-old girl standing in the centre of the ice that's chosen to take medication, which is on the banned list. This is a systematic problem around her entourage, her coaches, her physician, who served a previous doping ban when he was involved uh, with Russian rowing. And this is a bigger systematic problem of the way Russia have consistently 
in our entire lives, I would suggest, yeah. try to cheat the sporting system. We talk about, you know, the bad old days of the Eastern Bloc when you and I first got into our sport and we were watching Los Angeles in 1984 and, and you know, other moments that turn up on our TV screens and look strange against the ultra HD world now that we, we live in. It was going on then. It's been going on more recently with the McLaren report and the doping cover-up around Sochi, and it's still going on in 2022. How many times do you have to tell off the naughty child before you need to put them on the naughty step? How much regret does Thomas Bark have now of cozying up to Putin? It was bad enough when you know what's going on in the world at the moment with with Ukraine and, and other such crises. But before these Olympics... He was with Putin in Beijing and and then the Russia doping scandal happened. Uh, he, he must regret that so much. And I do hope you're absolutely right that the IOC now, as Andy said, we know we've got um, Paris, Milan, L.A., Brisbane coming up, that actually they can move away from this whole cozying up affair. Yeah, I don't think, as we said there, I don't think it's sports issue. Um, to fix world problems are not not the, the sport is not the solution as you say there but the ultra reliance on russia and china that the international olympic committee have demonstrated over the past decade or so i think needs to needs to end and hopefully as we go to france italy usa then who knows where the winter olympics will be in 2030 and then on to brisbane um, for the Olympics in 2032. Hopefully, as you say, then there won't be so much of that reliance. But it's very interesting that we are discussing and judging a Russian doping scandal. And in a moment, we'll get on <laughs> to our own Team G, Team GB doping scandal. But I just want to play something in the, from a quick interview I did with Gus Kenworthy, um, who was one of those athletes. He switched from America, silver medalist, uh, back in 2014, representing Team GB this time. Um, and it was difficult to try and get a lot of the Team GB athletes to comment openly and honestly about what they thought about the Camilla Valieva situation. Um, but Gus was different. I guess I personally don't think that she should be allowed to continue competing. They talk a lot about strict liability, each and every athlete's responsibility to make sure that what they're putting in their system is okay for sports, so that it can be a clean competition. And Ultimately, I understand that she's 15. And so the whole situation is sad. It's just very, very sad. But I feel like she was let down by her coaches and trainers and staff. And while it may be their fault, ultimately, she has to pay the consequences for it. I feel like Russia's had slaps on the wrist for things that are much more atrocious when it comes to doping scandals than this. But because of that, I feel like they need to be held accountable even more so. And this is just unfortunate because I, I don't think that her performance, the way she skates, um, is even affected by the drugs that she was taking. I think that it's sheer natural ability and it's drive and it's training. But I feel like by letting her compete and not having medal ceremonies, they're stripping a lot of other athletes of that experience and um and really just tainting the entire the entire games and the entire sport of figure skating this year. And he was absolutely right about Valieva, that she shouldn't have been there at that point, and she should have got a bit more support, particularly 
from her coach, um, Atiri Tukbaridzi, the former skater. You will have seen her on the telly, the, the long, blonde, wavy hair. Um, three of her Russian athletes were there, uh, including the eventual gold medal winner, Sherbakova, and the silver medalist, uh, Tr- Trusova, as well. And serious question marks about the support that she and the coaching that she does uh, through her club Samba 70 uh, in Moscow. And Valieva, I mean, Michael, you've got um, young girls. You're a father of young girls. Yeah. It was just wrong that she was put in that position. And the message that I see four years ago was the Olympic champion. You were, you probably don't even know what her name was. I certainly had to look it up. 15-year-old Russian, again coached by Tukberedzi, Anna Sagatova. And she's not anywhere in these Olympics because she's burnt out and she's had enough and she can't cope with it. Now, you can't tell me that as a father of, a, of, of young girls that the message to to them that by the time you're 19 it's all over is is an awful message to put out there. Yeah, and it's brought up this whole debate, of course, about whether we should have some kind of age limit on the Olympics. I'm not so in favour of that, to be honest, because, you know, I think the people that shouldn't be going to the Olympics are the cheats. I think if you're 13 and you're doing it clean, like Sky Brown, or you're 14, 15 and doing it clean like Tom Daly was, then... Why shouldn't you be going to the Olympics as long as it's being done in the right way? It's clearly not being done in the right way around um, Camille Valieva. And we look at our own system and British gymnastics uh, investigating themselves yeah. and being investigated for similarish circumstances, you know. And Amy Tinkler, we all talked about, you know, her bronze medal in Rio at the age of 16 retired from the sport now so it's not just a russian problem no it's a it's a world sport problem but going back to the point i raised earlier it does always seem to be russia at the center of these scandals that said team gb have been at the center of one of these scandals john this is anything but footy the olympic and paralympic podcast and we always say that we are um unashamedly biased towards Olympic and Paralympic sports. So at this point, we have to say we have to be unashamedly um, anti-doping, even with Team GB being punished for it. And I think this is the the really interesting point that we are so critical of Russia and rightly so, but we're also really critical of our own athletes for doing this. And the statement from the British Olympic Association on CJ Uja, which we'll read out in a moment, was was pretty damning. Uh, Michael. Yep, their Team GB lost their silver medals for that 4x100 metres relay from the Tokyo Games. CJ Uja found guilty of doping. Jarnel Hughes, Richard Kilty, Nathaniel Mitchell Blake had come second behind the Italians, but the British quartet all now disqualified, all medals returned. Now, Uja said he had not knowingly or intentionally doped, and the source of the banned substance could have been the ingestion of a contaminated supplement. BOA have said they were incredibly disappointed as they understand firsthand from handing out belated medals from Sochi, London and Beijing, the hurt and loss that doping can cause. Richard Kilty has been speaking uh, on local radio near to where I live uh, about his hurt and said that he won't talk to CJ Uja now. And this is possibly the worst moment of his life. And the UKA say they continue to be in regular communication with the athletes concerned but won't be making a public comment on the case until after the World Athletics 
and the Athlete Integrity Unit process, uh, which will follow on from this Court of Arbitration for Sport Outcome. So obviously, CJ Ujjup looking at a ban. Yeah, four-year ban at least, uh, I would think. Uh, he's 27 years of age. It's the end of his career. We've, we've seen it with Dwayne Chambers uh, before him another high-profile British athlete. But this is the worst Olympic drug scandal, isn't it? And that's the difference, that this was at an Olympic Games. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are are talking about Alan Baxter um, in 2002, and a lot of people have tremendous tremendous sympathy for Alan Baxter, because very briefly, Alpine skier won an unlikely bronze in horrendous conditions in Salt Lake City. Um, going back to my question to the Curly Girls, had no right to win that medal, but but did, and then turned out to have no right to win that medal because he'd taken an over-the-counter decongestion, nasal decongestion. In America, has different ingredients to what it has in the UK, so it was on the banned list, and he lost that bronze medal. So, you know, that was the previous example, if you like, and I think, as I said, a lot of people have sympathy for Alan Baxter, and certainly when I spoke to Dave Riding, you know, the Alpine skier representing GB in this one, winner in Kitzbühel a few weeks ago, that historic World Cup gold medal, first British man to do that. He always says that Alan Baxter was, was a genuine medal winner um, at the Olympics, but the records don't show that. But this one is big because it's a 4 by 100 metres relay. It's it's track and field. It's the last weekend of the Games, and it's it's Great Britain winning this silver medal in what, is one of the you know most anticipated blue ribboned events of the games, and you know you've just got to have sympathy for Zarnell Hughes, Richard Kilty, Nathaniel Mitchell Blake as well. They've been really, really let down by the teammate. It's it's incredible. Michael Johnson had to give one of his medals back. Hussein Bolt had to give one of his yep. his treble treble trebles uh, gold medals back um, because of somebody doping in a in a relay team. And yeah, there's always an excuse. But I think what Alan Baxter showed was that you have to check everything that's going into your body at all times. So UJ, CJ Uja has said that it could have been an ingestion of a contaminated supplement. Well, you need to know what you're doing. And ultimately, it is down to him. Um, and it'll be interesting to see whether he could help moving forward. Could he talk to people? I think Dwayne Chambers has offered to talk to people uh, about it and goes visit schools and stuff. But I don't think he's actually been involved in 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 more of a um, a more um, official capacity, um, going around with and meeting Team GB athletes maybe. But it's something to to bear in mind because the issue is that Team GB is very strong and it should be against Russia and the British Olympic Association has said you know Russia needs to be punished and as Andy said the whole entourage needs to be looked at but you can't make those comments when your athletes are also being found um, to be doping it's anything but footy the Olympic Paralympic sport podcast let's round up some of the other news from the world of sport Commonwealth eSports championships will take place (laughs) at the International Convention Centre the ICC in the centre of Birmingham on August the 6th to the 7th, 2022, which is towards the end of the Commonwealth Games this summer. The event is set to feature exciting demonstrations, so it says here, active esports and the powerful technologies that support the convergence of sport and esports. Laptops, basically, isn't it? <laughs> uh, the Commonwealth Esports Championships was sanctioned by the Commonwealth Games Federation Executive Board to be held at the same time as this year's Commonwealth Games, whilst being independent of Birmingham 2022 and its sports programme. The Commonwealth Esports Championships will have separate branding, separate medals, separate organisation and governance uh, led by the GEF and its community of partners. 
And this comes as the Commonwealth Games Federation has entered an exclusive dialogue period with the state of Victoria in Australia and Commonwealth Games Australia to host the 2026 Commonwealth Games. We could be going back to Oz eight years after Australia also staged the I Was There Gold Coast Games. You you were. Uh UK, of course, staging it in Birmingham this year, eight years on from Glasgow. Australia staging it eight years on from Gold Coast. It's a bit UK-Australia heavy, uh, the Commonwealth Games. They need Canada to step up in 2030, at least, as as you rightly say. And just on the eSports, um, do you have to get a certain screen time? You're only allowed 20 minutes a day or something. Or do you have to go and play outside for half an hour to get some fresh air afterwards? Who knows? Yeah, they'll all be out. They'll all be out in the park in Birmingham after their their day in the ICC. <laughs> the new athletics season started off. Talking of which, in Birmingham, in spectacular style at the Muller Grand Prix, with Tokyo Olympic silver medalist Keely Hodgkinson taking the roof off with a record-breaking 800-meter run. The 19-year-old, who's 20 next month, stormed to a 157.20 new British indoor record, and that's the fastest indoor 800 by a woman in 20 years as well. It's ahead of the British Championships next weekend uh, which of course is the world indoors or all ahead of the world indoors in Belgrade and Paula Dunn will be the team leader across three major athletics championships in 2022 she is the successful head coach of the para world class program but will now be working alongside Olympic head coach Christian Malcolm and that is a great appointment we're really pleased for Paula on to one of our favourite sports, in case you missed this. One of the biggest wins of the sporting world in the first weekend of the Netball Super League season. Congratulations, London Pulse, beating the five-time champions Team Bath for the first time ever. It was a scintillating 60-minute performance, which saw Sam Bird and the new performance director, Lisa Alexander's first victory, 52-48 at the Copper Box on Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. They're back there on Monday at 7 o'clock. If you've never seen Netball live, Mm. get some tickets. If you've been before but you've lapsed, get some tickets. (laughs) If you're a big fan of Netball and you love watching it and you go all the time, Get some more tickets for people that don't know. It will be brilliant, something you don't want to miss. Big win for England's men's hockey as they replace Great Britain, of course, this season ahead of the Commonwealths in the Pro League. They smashed six goals against Spain, four in the second half to win their opening match 6-1. David Condon scoring twice. Manchester will play host to the 11th edition of the Paris Swimming World Championship. Dates for the diary, 31st of July to the 6th of August, 2023. And there we were thinking 2023 <laughs> was going to be a quiet year for us. Not so. World Para Swimming and British Swimming have announced this in Aberdeen at the CITI Para Swimming World Series. Maisie Summers, Newton and Jordan Catchpole were among the British Paralympic champions to show glimpses of their Tokyo form. Maisie won World Series gold in the women's MC. 200 metres individual medley. Catchpole won a thrilling men's MC 100 metres freestyle. Wins two for double Paralympic medalist Scott Quinn in the 100 metres breaststroke. And Hannah Russell was part of a tie for World Series gold in the 100 metres backstroke. With all eyes on the Commonwealth Games, Gemma Hall won silver at the Tel Aviv Grand Slam in judo, her first Grand Slam final. And Kelly Peterson-Pollard continued her impressive rise up the senior judo ranks, winning her third Grand Slam bronze medal. Another one of my favourite Olympic sports. I love them all. There's none that I don't like, to be (laughs) honest. The Olympics never stops, as we know. Paris is three years away and British sailing are already getting excited for this. Ailey McIntyre will now be sailing alongside 
her new teammate Martin Wrigley going in the mixed 470 class because obviously Heli McIntyre was sailing alongside Hannah Mills but it's now a mixed category. Hannah Mills has announced her retirement anyway um, to go to the new sort of GP sale class and also to do some of her sustainability work as well. So Ailey's going again for Paris with Martin Wrigley alongside her this time. And Olympic champion Dylan Fletcher in the 49er class will be teaming up as well with a new partner, Ross House. London Marathon Events have announced it'll offer funding to 30 of the UK's best endurance runners for 2022 who don't get UK support funding. It's all part of the continued commitment to support long-distance running in this country. Amy Eloise Markovic will now, in her fourth year of funding and qualified for her first Olympics, uh, running the 5,000 metres, of course, last summer and also won the European Indoor Championships in 2021. When we spoke last time, we talked a lot about coaching changes post-Tokyo. And the changes are continuing on the coaching side of things at some of the sports, some of the teams that maybe struggled at the Tokyo Olympics last year. So Paul Stannard has now been appointed the men's Olympic head coach at British Rowing. Paul has worked with British Rowing for over 18 years. And since 2013, he's led the men's sculling team to both the Rio 2016 Olympics and the delayed Tokyo Games as well. Andrew Randall arrives from Rowing Australia to become the women's Olympic head coach. And international coach Christian Felkel is also returning to the GB rowing team as its new technical efficiency specialist. Which I was just like, is that just how to stroke? If only we knew someone at British Rowing that could tell us. Exactly. If they could tell us, that would be helpful. Uh, as ever, you can get in touch anytime. It's been a bumper edition of a review of Beijing 2022. At Anything But F on Twitter, you can message us on Insta and Facebook. Our website, anythingbutfooty.com or anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. A little insight into the Anything But Footy podcast. We always leave the rowing news to last because we know someone at British Rowing who says, oh, I always listen, but I switch off after I've heard the (laughs) rowing bit. So that's why we've put it on last. So you've had to listen right to the very end and get my final thoughts on Beijing 2022. It was the imperfect Olympics in so many ways. It was imperfect for its choice of Beijing and China as host. It was imperfect for the situation that was allowed to unfold around a 15-year-old Russian figure skater, Kamiya Valieva. And it was imperfect in terms of the medal return for Team GB, who came up short. They had a target by UK Sport of three to seven medals, and they come home with two. But once again, it was perfect. Perfect in the ice cube. Perfect for Team GB's curlers who come home with a historic gold medal. 20 years on from Rona Martin, Rona Howie as she is now, and the Stone of Destiny in Salt Lake City. And we talked about that for two decades. The men with their silver medal and now the women with their gold medal. The miracle on ice. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.